Does your dog talk to you? Do you know what he or she is saying? Welcome to My Doggy Says. Here now to help you understand and build a closer relationship with your dog, the host of My Doggy Says, Fred Haney. Hi, this is Fred Haney, host of the My Doggy Says show, where you learn about dog bonding or how to build a stronger relationship with your dog. You'll hear interviews here with experts from all corners of the dog world. And the whole idea is to improve your dog communication skills and help you build a more nurturing relationship with your pet in order to be dog's best friend. And as usual, I'm here with one of my best friends, Callie Golden Retriever, who's just about a week away from being four years old. Callie, as usual, we had our little afternoon soccer match. Uh, If you listen to the show, you know that when Callie first came home from the Breeders at age eight weeks, she found a soccer ball in the backyard and invited me to play, and we've played soccer every day since. And uh, she chests the ball, uh, and she does what we call nosers. If you're a person, a a noser would be a header, but when you're a golden retriever, your nose gets in the way, and you bonk it off the end of your nose, and and, it makes a loud noise, and the ball goes shooting. 30 feet. It's uh, really a fun thing to do. And we got uh, rain for about a week solid here in Southern California, so we weren't able to play soccer. And Kelly got uh, a little bit of cabin fever. So when it finally dried out, uh, she approached it with a whole new enthusiasm. (laughs) She's jumping higher and bonking farther. So we're having fun with our soccer. We have a fun uh, guest uh, to uh, share with you this evening, Ted Carasotti, who's the author of one of the best-selling dog books ever, uh, Merle's Door, and he's going to talk with us uh, about his new book, uh, Pucka, The Pup After Merle. So uh, we'll uh, introduce Ted in just a minute. If you'd like to chat with him, uh, please do call uh, the the show. The number to call in Phoenix is 602-277-KFNX. And outside the Phoenix area, the toll-free number is one 536 1100 And I know because of the incredible success of Merle's Door that Ted has a lot of fans, and I'm sure he'd be glad to share some of this time with some of you. If you do call the program and join the conversation, we'll make sure you get a free copy of the Dog Appreciation Lessons CD. As usual, we'll invite invite you to uh, join us during the week. There are different ways you can do that. Uh, we're at My Doggy Says on Twitter. We're on Facebook. Uh, and uh, we've finally uh, just about completely uh, rebuilt the website, www.mydoggysays.com. A lot of content there, and we've uh, twisted it around so that you can get at that content very quickly, just a couple mouse clicks in most cases. Uh, you'll be want to check out the blog. Uh, one of our most recent uh, blogs was uh, Darlene Arden, a uh, podcast talking about toy dogs. Uh, Nick Dodman, uh, the author of the Well-Adjusted Dog, uh, is uh, one of the most one of the more recent posts, and one that's uh, going to be especially relevant to our conversation tonight with Ted Carasotti was uh, Brenda Aloff's interview a, a few weeks back. Uh, talking specifically about how to train a puppy. So tonight we're going to get even more of a lesson about uh, how to train a puppy uh, from uh, Ted Carasotti, who's uh, just uh, introduced his new book, 
Pucka, the pup after Merle. Ted, welcome back to the My Doggy Says Show. Thanks so much, Fred, for having me on your show again. I'm excited to have you back. We had so much fun uh, the first time talking about yeah. Merle's Thor, and it's just uh, ter- terrific to, to have you back. Uh, I, I know most of our listeners probably read Merle's Door, but for those who aren't familiar with it, uh, why don't you give us a little uh, recap of what, what's it about and what kind of reception has it received? Okay. Merle was a dog whom I met on the San Juan River in southern Utah in April of 1991. We pulled up to the put-in there at about 11.30 at night. He appeared in my headlights. We opened our doors to the cars, two of us, two cars. He walked over to my door. He put his nose against my bare thigh and looked up into my eyes and said, You need a dog, and I'm it. (laughs) They do that, don't they? They do that. And he built a nest by my side in the sand. He got up the next morning. He seemed like a really friendly, intelligent dog. He looked pretty young, 10 or 11 months old. He'd been living out there on the desert, in the desert by all appearances, by himself, no collar, covered with grass and twigs, quite skinny. We took him down the river on the raft. He swam between the kayaks, and five days later I asked him if he wanted to come back to Wyoming. And He said, sure. He jumped in the truck, and I brought him back here to Kelly, Wyoming, which is on the edge of Grand Teton National Park, right between the Tetons and the Grovon Mountains in Jackson Hole. And I gave him his own dog door so he could continue to come and go as he wished and enjoy the life he loves. Which was Merle's door. Uh, Which is Merle's door, the physical, actual Merle's door, of course. Merle's door also refers to the door he opened into my heart and also the door he opened into the world of canine intelligence and emotion and behavior because I learned an enormous amount from Merle about how dogs act when they have some freedom to make their own decisions and learn on their own and conduct some of their own affairs. Yeah, so, we wanna, we'll want to talk some more about that. That's such an important concept uh, in uh, having a relationship with a dog. If you just tuned in, this is the My Doggy Says Show. I'm your host, Fred Haney, helping you find ways to build a stronger, more nurturing bond with your dog. And tonight we're visiting with Ted Carasotti, author of one of the best ever selling dog books titled Merle's Door. But tonight we're going to focus mostly on his new book, uh, Pucka, the Pup After Merle. If you'd like to uh, talk to Ted, the number to call in Phoenix is 602-277-KFNX. And outside the Phoenix area, it's 1-866-536-1100. Uh, I do want to take a minute and wish all of our listeners a really happy new year. Uh, and you just heard a really nice uh, rescue story. I thought I'd share another one with you because rescue is something we talk about a lot here on the show. We've done uh, some work with the Golden Retriever Club of Greater Los Angeles rescue people and also uh, the Arizona uh, Retriever Connection. And uh, I just wanted to uh, bring to your attention a fun uh, story. Uh, On January 1st in the Rose Bowl Parade, uh, there was a Chesapeake Bay retriever named Stanley who uh, was a rescue dog. And Stanley has become one of the dog dog jumping uh, champions in the country. And 
He was one of the dogs you saw uh, in the parade on the natural balance float. There were uh, some waveboard dogs at the back and a dog dog jumping champions at the front. So, uh, uh, Ted, uh, you did your rescue without facilitation. Uh, there are a lot of people out there working hard to make those uh, kinds of things happen. But you, you mentioned uh, there a little bit about uh, giving a dog uh, freedom uh, in the relationship. Uh, say a little more about that. How do you think that works? They, they sure seem to recognize it and appreciate it. Well, I go back to how wolves raise their own pups. And, of course, domestic dogs are genetically wolves. 99.6% of their DNA is the same as gray wolves. They can interbreed freely. And a lot of the way dogs behave is just the way wolves behave, much constrained because they're domesticated and live in civilization. But for a long time, when we looked at captive wolves, we saw that an alpha wolf, whether it be a male or a female, rule dominated the subordinate wolves below it in zoo situations. However, in the last 20 years when we've had the opportunity to watch wolves in Yellowstone after the 1995 reintroduction and watch them on Ellesmere Island, an entire different view of wolf society emerged, and what we saw was that the male and female alpha wolves actually shared leadership, deciding 50-50 about who they, where they were going to hunt, how they were going to hunt, where they were going to move the pack, and then when their maturing pups started to become teenagers, they passed on responsibility for running the pack and hunting to these maturing wolves, who eventually, some of them would disperse and found their own packs and become alphas. What's really interesting is that these two- and three-year-old wolves not only do the lion's share of the hunting, to mix metaphors here, uh, because older wolves are physically not capable of running as fast, but these wolves also make forays on their own, exploratory forays into the next valley, over the next mountainside, sometimes staying away a week or two, and then coming back and telling the pack what they've seen. So my contention is that we need to give our dogs more autonomy, just the way wolves don't keep their pups as perpetual puppies. Unfortunately, a lot of folks see dogs as child surrogates and want to keep their dogs as perpetual puppies their entire lives. I think this doesn't do justice to, to the dog's genetic hardwired propensity to both want to follow and lead and to be an equally participating member of a team just the way wolves are a member of a team. Yeah, that's such an important uh, concept, I think, and this is just a tiny example, but you heard me talk about my soccer games with Callie. That was her invention. I mean, it was really her uh, getting behind a soccer ball in the backyard and looking at me and inviting me to play. Uh, and it's an important dimension of our relationship. I just love uh, letting her make that call, and she invites me every afternoon, so it's her 
uh, initiating that game. And you can just tell she just sparkles when mm-hmm. uh, finally we head out to the backyard to do that. Uh, Ted, we've uh, just got a little over a minute uh, left in this segment. Tell our listeners how they can find your books and also about your website. They can find my books anywhere books are sold, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, and they can go to my website, www.karasote.com, that's K-E-R-A-S-O-T-E.com, and they can see slideshows of Merle's, videos of Pucka, uh, links to veterinary care, and quick links to buy my books. And just a few seconds here, but uh, part of my earlier question was, uh, what kind of reception did Merle's door receive? Merle's door. Merle was on the New York Times bestseller list for nine months. He's been translated into eight foreign languages. He's sold, I think, more than half a million copies worldwide. That's spectacular. Well, congratulations on that. that that's just uh, really thrilling for uh, a dog book. Uh, it's a My Doggy Says show. We're visiting with Ted Carasotti this evening, talking about his new book, Buck of the Pup After Merle. Uh, be sure and join us after the break. Welcome back to My Doggy Says. Here once again to help you understand and build a closer relationship with your dog. The host of My Doggy Says, Fred Haney. Welcome back to My Doggy Says Show, where you get better at dog bonding, you improve your dog talk skills, and you build more nurturing relationships with your pets in order to be dog's best friend. And you're doing it here with us on the Doggy Appreciation Network. Uh, we're visiting this evening with Ted Carasotti, who's the author of uh, one of the best-selling dog books ever, uh, Merle's Door, uh, and we're going to talk uh, for the rest of the show about his new book, Pucka, the Pup After Merle. If you'd like to join the conversation, uh, the number to call in Phoenix is 602-277-KFNX. And outside the Phoenix area, the toll-free number is one 536 1100 Ted would be uh, delighted to uh, answer your questions, and if you do join the program, We'll make sure you get a free copy of the Dog Appreciation Lesson CD. That's a fun collection of 18 sound clips from uh, about 150 interviews that we've done here on the show. Uh, You'll hear Dean Kuntz, uh, for example, uh, author of A Big Little Life, a story about Trixie's life, Trixie Golden Retriever, uh, telling a story about uh, Please Don't Take My Dog to Jail. Uh, Tom Sullivan, author of you could see what I hear, uh, talks about uh, how important it is to believe in his guide dogs. Uh, and you'll hear a little bit of uh, Ted Carasotti talking about his first meeting with Merle's door and, and uh, others. Just fun, uh, short, uh, two- and three-minute clips from uh, some of the uh, best shows that we think we've done. Uh, Merle, uh, <laughs> Merle, Ted, uh, you and I have a, a sort of a shared experience. Uh, you, you're a much more prolific author than I am, but I spent several years uh, taking photographs and writing stories about uh, my golden retriever, Jamie, 
Uh, and uh, the theme of that was basically uh, trying to interpret her behavior and uh, get better at uh, figuring out what she was trying to tell me. Uh, and uh, I, I lost Jamie uh, just within a couple months of the time the books came back from the printer. Uh, and I'd gotten so close to her because, you know, when you spend that much time thinking about a dog and writing and having that kind of relationship and uh, r really reveling in it, uh, you start to wonder, could I ever find another dog uh, to fill those paws? And uh, then several months later, uh, Callie came along, uh, and it was almost as if she'd been sent by Jamie to kind of prove that there could be another dog. Uh, you must have gone through something like that after you lost Merle. Well, I, I I spent quite a bit of time grieving for Merle. In fact, it took me three years to write Merle's door. So three years went by without a dog, and I did not want a dog. I really wanted to remember Merle in every one of his exquisite details so I could snatch him, so to speak, from time's dissolution and recreate him in memory. So three years went by, and then I was on the book tour for a year. I talked to you during that time. And then finally, in that year, I started looking for another dog, and I visited lots of shelters. I actually went back to, to Bluff, Utah, where I met Merle and hung out there at uh, the, the put-in for the San Juan in some vain hope that maybe another dog like Merle would walk out of the darkness. History might repeat it, so. Yeah, but of course it did not. Uh, and I just couldn't find the the dog whom who really opened the door to my heart again. Or if I did find them, they belonged to other people. <laughs> so uh, that was not an option. And and as I went through that process, I I began to research the next book, the book that's after Pucka, uh, which was going to be the next book. Uh, Pucka was sort of a, an accident. Uh, and this book, Why Dogs Die Young and What We Can Do About It, deals with the factors that influence dog health and longevity. And I've gotten thousands and thousands of emails about Merle's door, and many of the people ask rhetorically, why do our dogs have to die so young? But many other people would ask quite particularly, why did my dog die of cancer at two years old, at three years old? Why have my four of my five golden retrievers died of cancer? And I started to think about this as I was on the book tour for Merle and started to wonder, well, why do our dogs die so young? Why don't they live as long as horses? Why don't they live as long as parrots? Parrots live 70 years. Here's our best friend in the animal kingdom. Some people may dispute that, but I think most people would, would turn to dogs as our, as our oldest companion in the animal kingdom. And why don't they live so long? And so I started doing research that looked at the factors, and the factors are genetics, environmental pollutants, over-vaccination, bad nutrition, how the North American shelter system is run, because we kill about 3 million dogs each year in it, and finally the effects of spaying and neutering. Lots so, of uh, lots of strikes against here. Uh, 602-277-KFNX is the number to call in Phoenix if you'd like to uh, join the conversation with Ted Carasotti. Uh, 
Outside the Phoenix area, the number to call is 1-866-536-1100. So go ahead. Uh, you, you were talking about the book you were going to write as the uh, next book after Merle. Right, and that I am writing right now. And so I began to think, well, I can't find a puppy at a shelter. I so loved Merle. Maybe I can find a puppy that has some of his characteristics. And so I began to look at different breeders. Uh, some lab historians helped me in pinpointing perhaps the kind of lab Merle was. And I also thought if I start with a puppy from a breeder, I can do a bunch of genetic tests on the parents or make sure that the breeder has done them to ensure that the puppy is not going to come down with some of the diseases that afflict dogs. Progressive retinal atrophy, which makes dogs blind. Central nuclear myopathy, which cripples them. Exercise-induced collapse, which means they collapse after exercise. Uh, good elbows and hips. So eventually, I found a breeder in Minnesota whose female dog so reminded me of Merle that I thought I would love to have a puppy from her. And eventually I met her mate, Taylor, Pucka's father, uh, who had some of Merle's characteristics. And Pucka came out of that litter. Uh, his parents were genetically clear for these various diseases. Uh, Pucka has not been spayed and neutered, uh, or, or neutered rather, he's a male, uh, which may surprise people, but there are some very, very good reasons not to spay or neuter dogs at an early age because um, it's been found that spaying and neutering leads to more higher incidences of many diseases, cancer, endocrine dysfunction, orthopedic problems, all of which I talk about in the new book, Why Dogs Die Young. Back well, that's uh, something for us to uh, look forward to. That'll be out next year, 2012? Yes, it shall. And uh, we've just got uh, a, a little over a minute left in this segment. Please, uh, Ted, tell our listeners how they can find your books and how they can find your website, and, and what will they see there? Okay. They can find my books anywhere where books are sold, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Borders, uh, your local bookseller, uh, if they don't have it, I'm sure they could order it. And they can go to my website, www.kerasote.com, K-E-R-A-S-O-T-E.com, see videos of Pucka, see slideshows of Merle, and look at links to a lot of the veterinary research that I was just talking about. And it really is a fun site. A lot of great uh, photography there. Uh, you, you, li you live in a uh, beautiful mountainous part of the country, and that uh, sure shows up in the in, in the photographs. Um, we will be back with uh, Ted Carasotti after the break, and we will uh, jump into uh, his new book, Pucka, uh, the Pup After Merle. Uh, it's a, a very fun book. It's a pictorial uh, book to a large extent. We'll get Ted to uh, tell us uh, how he got to uh, that kind of an idea for a book. Uh, please uh, join us after the break. My Doggy Says Show. 
Your dog's actions may speak louder than words. Welcome back to My Doggy Says, here again to help you become a better listener with your best friend, the author of My Doggy Says, Fred Haney. Welcome back to the My Doggy Says show, where you learn what makes dogs tick, how to improve your dog bonding skills, and how to be dog's best friend. And you're doing it on the Doggy Appreciation Network. Our guest this evening is Ted Carasotti, the author of the best-selling dog book, uh, Merle's Door. Uh, and in this segment, we're going to uh, start to talk with Ted about his new book, uh, Pucka the Pup After Merle. If you'd like to ask Ted a question, the number to call in Phoenix is 602-277-KFNX. And outside the Phoenix area, the toll-free number is one 536 1100. And if you do join the program, we'll make sure you get a free copy of the Dog Appreciation Lessons CD. During the week, be sure and follow along with us uh, on our website, www.mydoggysays.com. The blog there uh, we we post frequently. We also put these interviews up as podcasts. uh, And there's a lot of content on the website. And We've reorganized the website so that you can get at uh, most of that content with just a couple mouse clicks. So you'll see a photo gallery, you'll see a video, uh, you'll see uh, a link to a lot of the past podcasts. There's one page about the radio show that contains uh, over 30 uh, links to uh, past uh, shows that we've done. So uh, you can really get at a lot of material quite quickly. Uh, Ted, uh, fun to continue the conversation here. You, you were explaining how uh, the, the book you planned to write uh, after uh, Merle's Door was Why Do Dogs Die Young and What to Do About It, uh, and that really was what led you to Pucka. That's correct. I wanted, once I, I was unable to find a dog that really tugged at my heart in shelters, I, I thought, maybe I can try and find a dog who has a lot of the characteristics that Merle has. And to help me dramatize the various factors that I talked about in the new book, Why Dogs Die Young, why not get a dog who starts out as a clean slate, whose parents have been genetically tested, uh, who's unneutered and unspayed, and who's seven weeks old, and I'll bring him home to Wyoming. Uh, He won't uh, have to go through the trials of the shelter system, and I can see what it's like to raise a puppy from scratch, Uh, put him on a a good diet right from the start, and it was in this way that uh, traveling around looking at breeders that I met Pucka's uh, mother Abby and his uncle Casey, they really reminded me of Merle. They were calm, collected. They looked like him, and I thought I would love a pup from one or the other of them. Abby managed to have a litter first with a dog named Taylor, and a few months later I brought Pucka home when he was seven weeks old, uh, and I began to photograph him much the way proud parents photograph their kids and send out photographs and emails, and suddenly 
when I had about 50 of these images, which I had planned on putting up on my website, I thought, hmm, you know, there's a there might be a book here. Uh, so I sat Pucka down in front of the computer screen, the big 24-inch monitor, and I said, Pucka, you know, tell me what you're doing in that photo. And he loves watching the computer screen. He watches dog training films on it. So he said, would say, oh, you know, that's me seeing my first bison in Yellowstone. Uh, you know, that's me seeing my first elk back in Kelly. And uh, before you knew, know it, I had a book, or Pucka and I had a book, which is Pucka the Pup After Merle, which is not only uh, a history of the first six months of his life, but it's his and my take about how to raise a puppy in a kinder, gentler way than a lot of puppy manuals currently advocate, and how to start giving a young dog freedom so he can become a self-actualized dog the way Merle was. That's, uh, that's spectacular uh, purpose. Uh, I really love talking to you and uh, to Dean Koontz because you both are so good at putting yourself into the mind of the dog, uh, <laughs> which uh, I, I've spent a little time trying to do that, too. Callie uh, uh, writes a post on our My Doggy Says blog once in a while. But uh, how, how do you do that? How do you uh, sort of figure out uh, what's in the dog's mind? It's, I think, more a matter of translation. Dogs speak dog uh, more than they speak. They don't speak English or French or Chinese. They, <laughs> so, they you, speak, so you're the interpreter. Exactly. They speak dog, and they speak it through their vocalizations. They speak it through their facial movements, their body posture, uh, the way their eyes are facing, and they, they communicate to dogs, other dogs like this, all the time. And so I think many people who are listening, I'm, I'm sure, hold these kind of conversations with their dogs. I'm sure you do, Fred, where you look at the dog and what you're interpreting, what the dog is telling you. And, and some of it is, is quite simple. I want to eat. I want to go out. I'm sad. I'm happy. Uh, but it it can become quite a bit more complex and rich if you really try to parse out what your dog is saying. There's a, there's a lot of messages being sent there uh, sometimes. This is the My Doggy Says Show. I'm your host, Brett Haney, and we're visiting tonight with Ted Carasotti, uh, the author of Merle's Door, but also of uh, his new book, uh, Pucka, the Pup After Merle. If you'd like to join the conversation, the number to call in Phoenix is 602-277-KFNX. Outside the Phoenix area is 1-866-536-1100. Uh, Ted, my feeling is that an awful lot of dog communication is behavioral. And the, the way I describe it is once in a while your dog will do something that makes you just stop and scratch your head and say, uh, why did he do that, or uh, why did she do that, what, what's she trying to tell me, and now you get to sort of decode the puzzle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I also think that dogs can learn hundreds of words, and, and not only do I think that, it's been well, that's proven, proven, yeah. proven yeah. in the literature. And depending on where one lives, one can teach the dog 
the objects, the locations, the inhabitants of one's home place. And so Merle and now Pucka knew and know the names of all the big mammals who live around us. They know that elk, moose, bighorn sheep, bison, deer, wolf, coyote. And what was fascinating about Merle was that his body language would be very different when he would smell different scats from that different animal. Elk, because we eat elk, he'd get very excited about it. Deer, because we don't eat deer, he would not get very excited about it. Grizzly bear, he would get very sober when he'd smell grizzly bear scat. <laughs> what am I doing here? Um, black bear, on the other hand, he would get, he would be amused. Oh, the little bear, this is no problem. Pucka, as well, has very different reactions when he sees a grizzly bear and he sees a black bear, very similar to Merle. Grizzly bears make him quite sober. Black bears, not so much. Same thing with wolves. He gets very serious when he hears wolf howls. Coyotes, not so bad. That's the little dog. So all these things one can read from one's dog's behavior and body posture. Yes, and I, I see that uh, completely smaller scale with Callie, but I see her react in different ways to uh, dogs. And, and, and we do spend a lot of time at uh, our home in, uh, at Lake Arrowhead uh, in the San Bernardino Mountains, and once in a while we'll come across a coyote, and it's interesting to see her reaction uh, to what that. What is it? Well, she, she, uh, she doesn't, recoil would be too strong a word. She hesitates. Mm-hmm. She doesn't go try to make friends, though. Mm-hmm. And with other dogs, she's generally very, very friendly, but once in a while she'll kind of back off. What, Ted, where does the name Pukka come from? Pukka is an old Hindi word which I learned and loved in Nepal and India. It means genuine or first class, as in that's a Pukka climb or that's a Pukka meal. And when on the very first night that Pucka and I were driving back from Minnesota, we stopped in Rapid City, South Dakota, got a motel room in a pet-friendly motel, and Pucka whined. To, uh, there he was at seven weeks old. He whined to go outside, and I let him out. He did his business, and uh, I came back and uh, said, wow, you are a Pucka dog. You're first class. And he said, you know, that name will work for me. <laughs> Great. Good good uh, story. Um, we just have uh, a little over a minute left in this segment, so let's make sure and tell our listeners how they can find your books and your website. Okay. They can find my website at kerasote.com, K-E-R-A-S-O-T-E.com. And on there, they can see a slideshow of Merle's life set to his favorite dance tune, Big Bug Shuffle. There are a couple of videos of Pucka, both winter and summer, lots of photographs. There's a winter page about Jackson Hole. There are uh, links to my former essays, and there are lots of links to veterinary medical literature, helpful links about how to take care of your dog. You can buy my books at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, uh, borders, and every place books are sold. 
And uh, boy, there's just so many questions and not uh, a lot of time. But uh, maybe if you could take just uh, 20 or 30 seconds here uh, and answer this one: uh, d Does Pucka use Merle's door? Oh, indeed, he does. Uh, Pucka had his own dog door in the kennel where he was born in Minnesota. So from the time he could walk out of his whelping box and go outside, he knew how to use a dog door. So when he came to Wyoming, Merle's door was absolutely straightforward for him. <laughs> no trouble. And then later, I, I think you built him a new one. <laughs> yes. That's uh, the My Doggy Says Show. We'll be back with uh, Ted Carasoni uh, right after the break. Don't go away. Body language, facial expressions, they're not just for humans anymore. Author Fred Haney says his dog Jamie talks to him. And now to continue the canine conversation, author of My Doggy Says, Fred Haney. Welcome back to My Doggy Says Show. I'm Fred Haney, your host and author of the four-time award-winning book, My Doggy Says, Messages from Jamie, How a Dog Named Jamie Talks to Her People. We're visiting this evening with Ted Carasotti, who's the author of uh, the, one of the best-selling dog books ever, Merle's Door, uh, and his new book, uh, Pucka, The Pup After Merle. And if you'd like to join the conversation, the number to call in Phoenix is 602-277-KFNX. Outside the Phoenix area, the toll-free number is 1-866-536-1100. Um, got a lot of questions that I uh, still want to ask Ted, so we're going to uh, kind of move along here. Uh, uh, one question, Ted, is uh, how do you describe uh, the book uh, Pucka? Uh, it's it's a little different from some books. It's lovely, but uh, I wanted to hear in your words how you how you would tell somebody uh, what it what it is and what it's about. Okay, Pucka is a book of two hundred four color photographs. Uh, depicting the first six months of Pucka's life. And as I said before, it's Pucka's and my take on how to raise a puppy in a kinder, gentler way than is currently advocated in a lot of puppy training manuals. There's not a lot of text. There are, are captions. Some are just one sentence. Some are a paragraph or two. They're written by Pucka. I translated them for him. And it sits between Merle's Door and Why Dogs Die Young. Lots and lots of people, readers, ask me, have you gotten a new dog yet? And instead of writing everyone a letter and sending out thousands of email photographs of Pucka, one of the reasons I did publish this book was to give those readers who, who wanted to see Pucka, wanted to know about my new dog, uh, a book in between Merle and Why Dogs Die Young to answer a lot of the questions about who Pucka was, what he looked like. And uh, unbeknownst to me, what has happened is I now have a trilogy of dog books, the third one yet to appear in 2012. Well, great story. And one of the things that makes the book uh, so delightful is you live in a part of the country uh, where there's a lot of spectacular outdoor scenery, and that shows up in an awful lot of the photography. Uh, uh, that's quite nice. You're also in a place where dogs are kind of free to come and go, which uh, isn't the 
isn't quite the case in the average suburb. Yeah. I, I also really wanted to capture the many moods and, and the very, very ephemeral uh, maturation stages of a puppy in those first weeks where they're changing seemingly daily. Not seemingly, they are changing daily. And so to to capture that, I ended up taking 14,000 images of Pucka myself, and I hired three photographers to follow us around in different locations. So there'd be photos of Pucka and me. They took another 3,000 images. And out of those 17,000 images, uh, we used about 200 in the book. And, and people often ask me, well, well gosh, uh, how did you get such good pictures of Pucka? Uh, you you, you know, take a lot of, a lot of pictures. Yes, you know that <laughs> firsthand. Yep. In a sense, it's art by machine gun fire. You yeah, get on the you motor take drive. A, take a hundred and get a good one. Yeah. Um, one, one of the uh, things I really enjoyed about uh, Merle's door, and we talked about it before, was uh, your story about trying to get Merle to uh, do uh, some bird hunting, and finally Merle just said, hey, I can do this, but I really don't want to. Right. Uh, it must have been a thrill when uh, Junebug taught uh, Pucka how to uh, bird hunt. But then uh, it was almost, I saw a parallel here. Uh, later on, Pucka said, uh, couldn't we stop halfway through this river rafting trip and go for a hike? Right, right. I made, I made a large mistake when Pucka was five months old. I took him on a trip down the main fork of the Salmon River in Idaho, and thought, oh, I'm, I love river trips. He'll have a great time, spectacular scenery, swimming in the river. But I didn't realize how much energy a, a five-month-old Labrador retriever puppy has and that swimming each day is just not enough. Uh, this is a dog who could hike 20 miles a day, and he found the river trip just dead boring. And halfway through it, he said to me, this really is not what I want to be doing. I want to be hiking like when we went and climbed Jackson Peak. So I cut the river trip in half. We were going to run the lower salmon as well. And we came back to Kelly and went up in the Grovant Mountains on a backpacking trip and climbed Crystal Peak, which I had never climbed before. And Pucka just loved it. That's what he wanted to do. He wanted to be hiking every day. And so it taught me an important lesson about listening to what your dog needs at a particular stage in its life. That's such an uh, important lesson for people to learn. The My Doggy Says Show, we're visiting with Ted Carasotti. Uh, if you have a question for Ted, we have a few minutes left, uh, 602-277-KFNX or 1-866-536-1100. Uh, Ted, one uh, thing that uh, Pucka says, sort of, I, I don't remember if it's toward the end of the book, but it really uh, was uh, a poignant uh, statement for me. He says, uh, sometimes I lie by Merle's aspen tree and Ted gets a faraway look in his eyes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, sure. Uh, all of us who have had beloved dogs, know that another dog is not going to replace that dog. It's going to be an addition to one's life, not a replacement. And yet there are moments when I see Pucka 
moving through the snow or, or moving through the grass, and and there'll be this shape shift because he does look a lot my lot like Merle. That was not an accident. It was intentional. I loved the way Merle looked, and just the way some people love golden retrievers or Australian shepherds or German shepherds and have three or four or five of those dogs in their lives because they love the inimitable quality of that particular breed. So, too, I loved the breed named Merle, and I wanted another dog like him. And fortunately, Pucka does have many of the characteristics of Merle, even though he is vastly different. I went through that so much when I lost uh, Jamie, and I just told myself uh, every minute of every day, uh, it, it won't be the same dog. It'll be a new dog. Uh, get used to it. And I was just so pleasantly surprised when uh, Callie came along. She uh, just really uh, filled the bill. There are some pictures in the book of Merle's prayer flags. There must be uh, some story behind the significance there. Well, the prayer flags were there before Merle was there. Uh, the, the prayer flags came from Nepal and Tibet. I've always admired them there. The idea is they're imprinted with prayers, Om Mane Padme Om, Behold the Jewel and the Lotus Flower. The wind blows them off, and whatever is downwind of the flags gets blessed by the words that are blown off of it. And so I put those prayer flags up on my property that had been there for years and years and years, they get periodically changed out for new ones because the color fades off, the, the prayers vanish. And I thought, what better spot to bury Merle when he died than beneath them? Uh, the wind blows over the prayer flags, over his grave, directly to my house. So his spirit is always blowing this way. And uh, surprisingly, remarkably, his grave has become somewhat of a pilgrimage site for people who have read the book. And hundreds of people have now visited his grave, left flowers, left note cards, left gifts. During the summer, uh, there's almost someone who goes out there every day. Sometimes they don't stop and knock on the door. They simply have found it, walk out there. I see people with their heads bowed, some people kneeling, uh, paying their respects to a dog that... Uh, seemingly has affected millions of lives. What a nice tribute to a terrific dog and also to a terrific book, and I think you're headed the same direction here with uh, Pucka, the pup after Merle. But Ted, we're just about out of time. Very quickly, uh, um, well, just give your website real quick, and uh, we're going to have to say thank you and uh, head, head off. Thank you, Fred. It's curiosity.com, uh, dot com. Ted, thank you so much for coming back to be with us. Uh, you're just delightful to talk with. Uh, be sure and join us next week, 8 to 9 p.m. Mountain Time. In the meantime, pay attention to what your dog is saying. Do something about it. And remember Jamie's first rule for a good life. Don't bark if a wolf will do the job. 